Well, the day, <clears throat> that's not a great start. <clears throat> the date was August 28th, 1963. Many of you were around. I was around. It was a warm, muggy day in the nation's capital. And a young pastor stepped up to a microphone in front of the Lincoln Memorial calling for justice for all Americans. It was the height of the civil rights movement. And, uh, and yet there was frustration growing because things weren't moving as fast as some would have wanted. Civil rights legislation was stuck in Congress. It had stalled. <laughs> no surprise there. And so a quarter of a million people showed up on the mall in Washington, D.C., calling for justice for all Americans. The preacher was supposed to speak for four minutes. He wasn't the primary speaker that day. He went four times that long. What can I say? He's a preacher. And he called for justice. Now, his opening few minutes of the speech were fine, fairly predictable, prepared remarks that had been written for him, until he said this. He said, I say to you today, my friends, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. And from behind him, the voice of that great gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, and Christ follower, spoke up, and she said, tell him about the dream, Martin. And he set aside his remarks, and that's when the real speech began. The one that you and I at least know bits and pieces of. For he said, I have a dream today. <clears throat> I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And later on, he would go on to say, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. That speech inspired America. Less than one year later, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act was passed by Congress. And a year after that, in 1965, the Voting Rights Act was passed in Congress. Historians have said that that, that speech was among the most consequential of all speeches given in America in the 20th century. Now, why do I share that story? I share that story to remind you that although we've made great progress. That was 60 years ago. There were people in this country that couldn't vote and couldn't go into a restaurant in the South, some places in the South, because of the color of their skin. We've made progress, okay? We really have. But I share it also to remind us that we still live in a broken 
sinful, and often unjust world. And we wonder, when is Jesus going to come and make it right? When is Jesus going to bring justice? Today I talk to Christians almost every week. And so many of us are disillusioned. We are discouraged. We are even disgusted. We become cynical about our government, our leaders, and more than that, all of our institutions, including the church. And they're all far from perfect, I know that. But I also know that people are leaving the church today in North America in record numbers. The church is no longer growing in North America. And those of us that remain may be finding ourselves going, <laughs> is, that, is all the stuff we're doing making any difference? Are all of our prayers making any difference in the world? The Spirit laid it upon Barb McArdle to remind us that he is. But that is where a lot of people are today. And if you are there this morning, I want you to hold on to that for just a second. Don't give in to that just yet. Because I think the Lord has a word for us this morning, and it's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. We've been studying the kingdom parables. Andrew has been walking us through the, the parables of the kingdom in, in, in Luke's gospel. And we come to the, this particular one this morning, and I think it is fitting given the state of where we are. And what we've seen about the kingdom of God in these parables is that the way the kingdom of God works in the world today, it doesn't work like the world, does it? They are so counterintuitive. In, in, in the kingdom, Jesus tells us that the last will be first. And the greatest is the least. And if you would find your life, you must give it away. All those things are counterintuitive. So there's something about the way calls, Jesus calls us to live that is running completely counter to the way things work in the world. And that's challenging. That's scary. But it could be eye-opening and exciting and exhilarating if we will listen. Luke sets up what he's going to talk about in, Luke, in, in chapter 18, actually in, verse, in chapter 17. And so I want to set what, what I want to talk about this morning by reading a part of Luke chapter 17, beginning in the 24th verse of Luke chapter 17. So bear with me here. Jesus has been asked by the, the, a group of Pharisees, when will the kingdom come? When will, when will Christ return? Because there was a group of people that were discouraged in that day. The Jews were under the thumb of Rome. And they were waiting for Messiah to show up. And what was he going to do? Whew. Set it all straight. 
wasn't he? That's what they thought. And so he says, the kingdom of God is among you. And Jesus was standing right there. He was the king. <laughs> and then he says in verse 24, for the son of man in his day will be like lightning when he comes, which flashes and <clears throat> lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer and be rejected by this generation. Of course, we know that that refers to the cross. And then he says some very interesting things. In, Luke, in verse 26, he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Justice comes. And then he says, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, taking out mortgages, living life, going to work every day. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur came. Justice. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now hold on to that, because that's important. That's important to understand something. <clears throat> and so Jesus continues in verse 1 of chapter 18. He says in chapter 18, verse 1, but Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. That's our big idea this morning. Jesus says it right out of the bat. We are to always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. That's my big idea. In an unjust world, we are to pray and never give up. That's not saying we don't do other things as well, but if we do nothing else, we better pray first. Pray and never, ever give up. And so he tells a parable. Let's read together verses 2, beginning in verse 2. He said, in a certain town there was a, a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice. Hmm. Grant me justice over my adversary or from my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Self, even though I don't fear God or care about men, let alone widows, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an odd story, right? I mean, in most of these stories, the, the, there's a person you can relate to who we say, okay, that's, I can relate to that person, the widow. And then there's an authority figure, and it usually represents God. 
What's up with this? Well, let's look at it. There's two people in the story. We'll call one the corrupt judge, because that's what he was. In that time, in the particular locations in Israel, there would be an individual, usually a male in a male-dominated culture, who was given the responsibility of settling disputes among citizens of a locality. They were usually men of experience. They were men of good judgment. They were men who were devout in the faith. They knew the law. They were men who, whose judgment would be respected by the citizens. This guy was none of that. He was appointed, I don't know how, doesn't matter, the story doesn't tell us, but he was appointed in such a way that he was only in it for his own self-interest. He was only serving himself. It was a pretty good gig, I I imagine. I imagine being in a a position of authority and you have a a narcissistic, corrupt judge who who really, you know, could work the things. And so he's, he's put in charge. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people. He only cares about himself. What he doesn't count on is running into a persistent widow. Now, mind you, don't assume that she's an elderly woman. Because men died young. They're still dying young. Younger. She could have been a young woman who's lost her husband and she still had children at home. We don't know. But one thing I do know is this woman had guts. And she had strength. Because she kept coming back. She kept coming back and saying, grant me justice. We don't know what happened. She somehow must have been defrauded or taken advantage of by somebody in the town. Maybe it was even one of the judge's buddies that defrauded her. I don't know. But we do know that she kept coming to him and she wouldn't take no for an answer. And the judge for a while said, you know what? Just go away. And that's really all he wanted her to do was just go away. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't go away because she knew it was her right. And widows were in a very vulnerable position in that society. Without a husband, she didn't have a lot of recourse. She was in the only recourse she had, and that was to go to this judge and said, Judge, you're my only hope. Make it right. And he blew her off until finally one day he thought to himself, You know what? I got to get this woman off my back. And so he says, okay, I'll give you justice. I'll give her her justice so that she won't wear me out. That, ter- that phrase, wear me out, it means she won't give me a black eye. She won't give me a black eye. He didn't care about people, but he cared about his image. He cared about the way he looked. So he said, you know what? I'll give her justice. Yeah, I'll give her justice, and she'll hopefully go away. The late Jim Valvano was a head basketball coach at North Carolina State University men's basketball back in the 1980s, and he developed cancer. And as a result of that 
cancer, he began, he, he started a foundation, the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. And that continues to today. Jimmy Valvano eventually succumbed to his cancer, but in the process, he was, uh, before he died, he was at, you know, doing fundraising for his, his foundation. And on, he, he gave a speech at one, and he has become famous before for this very phrase. He, in the midst of facing cancer, he says, whatever you're facing, never give up. Never give up. Never, ever give up. Even if you're dying of cancer. It's a little bit like what Jesus said. We are to pray and never give up. Now let me make a couple of observations about this parable because sometimes this has been misunderstood by people. The first observation is this. Persistent prayer is meant to remind is not meant to remind God of our needs. Ah uh, Remember me? Don't forget me. It's not meant to remind God of our needs. He knows what we need before we even ask. Persistent prayer is intended to remind us of the character of God. And we're going to get to that in a second. It's meant to remind us that we keep coming back and reminding ourselves, oh yeah, God is good. God is just. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is faithful. God is a good father. It keeps reminding us of that. And so we are to pray night and day for justice. The second observation I would make is that persistent prayer does not mean if I just pound on the door of heaven long enough, God will eventually give in. I hear that from some people. You just got to keep praying and keep banging on God's door until he gives you what you want. That's not what this is teaching. This is not about my list of wants and needs. You can't wear God out, right? You can. And the third observation is this. Persistent prayer in this parable is about seeking justice in a broken world. Don't give up praying for justice. Don't give up praying that God is going to eventually make everything right. See, the purpose of persistent prayer is to remind us of God's character. That's the first principle I want you to understand. The purpose of persistent prayer is to remind us of God's character so that, we, so that when we act on injustice, we will act in the character of Almighty God and not out of my own anger. We have to be careful, people, as, as believers, to not take justice in our own hands. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. Our job is to pray and to pursue justice in a righteous way. It's his job to bring judgment. Okay? You say, but Mark, look at the state of the world today. Look at the state of the world. Let's read on. Verse 6. 
The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Let's just stop there for a second. When you see the phrase, will not God bring justice? What's he saying? God is going to bring justice. God is going to bring justice. Don't, you know, that's a sure thing. This isn't, so you're telling me there's a chance. No, it's coming. Justice is coming. He's using a rhetorical phrase here, a rhetorical question. Will not God bring justice for his chosen ones? This is not a group of people that are just anybody. He's talking about who? Us, his disciples, his followers, because we are his chosen ones, just as the Jews were his chosen ones in the Old Testament. Every adopted child knows they are special. Why? Because they were chosen. We have been chosen by God. We have been adopted into his family. And he says, do you think God doesn't care about you? What he's saying is that God is nothing like the, uncor- the, the corrupt judge. God is everything he's, the, un- the corrupt judge is not. He cares about every detail of your life. He cares about every aspect of your life. He cares about what you're going through and the pain you're in. He knows it. He's fe- felt it. Will not God bring justice? Well, the answer is, of course he will. Of course he will. Will he not bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So there's this promise that he gives in verses 6 through 8 that remind us, you see, that God is not like the judge. The, the corrupt judge is what you would call a good, bad example. He's a, God, Jesus includes this parable, this, this image of this corrupt judge in, to contrast the goodness of God. To remind us that we're not dealing with a corrupt God, no matter how much corruption we might see in the world today. But he is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is just. And he will do the right thing. He's going to bring justice to this broken, sinful mess we call life here. In his time. Interesting, in 2 Peter, you know, Peter is fascinating to me. Peter is... Peter's the guy that, that when the, they came to take away Jesus, who grabbed the sword and cut off the guy's ear? Peter. He was the first. I'm going to be with you. Uh, you know, he was, he was all action. But listen to what he, he had finally come to later in life. He realized something. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come, how? Like a thief. Why is that so important? Because he's already told us that God's timing is not our timing. A guy was having a conversation with God and he said, God, is it true that to you a million dollars or a million years is like a second? God said, yep, like a mere second. And then he said, was, is, is a million dollars to you like, what is a million dollars to you like? And he said, well, God said, a million, a million dollars is like a penny. So the man asked, God, would you give me a penny? And he said, sure, just a second. <laughs> God's timing is not our timing. He is not bound by time. He is not frustrated by time the way we are. But Peter reminds us there's a reason for why he hasn't brought justice just yet. When people say, look at the state of the world. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? Because he's patient. And there's more people that haven't come to know him yet. Aren't you glad that he was patient to wait for you? He could have come. But he's patient. But wait a minute. He says, but it, but it says, and he will come quickly. The justice will come quickly. And it's been 2,000 years. What's the deal, Lord? Part of our understanding of that is, is what we understand is what does it mean he'll come quickly. Maybe a better Translation would be, and he will come suddenly. It will be as in the days of Noah. Everybody's going along. People are getting married. They're getting married. Life is going on. The evil looks like it's continuing. Boom. Until justice comes. It'll be like the days of Lot. People are building, they're planning, they're doing, they're getting married, their lives are going on. We look around the world and it looks like nothing we're doing is really changing anything. And what he's telling us is, it's going to come suddenly. We're not going to suspect it. It's, It's going to surprise just about everybody. That's what he's saying. Aren't you glad he's patient? He's still patient today. And he's still waiting for people that will turn to him and recognize their need for a savior. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, even today, today would be the best day of your life if you did. I would encourage you to think about that. I'd love to pray with you if that's where you're at. See, the problem is when everything's just going along and it just seems like life is carrying on and what we're doing, we're, we're swimming against the tide. Maybe it doesn't look like things are going the way we should or the way we want. Doesn't God care? Where is he? It's because not only does persistent prayer remind us 
of God's character, of who he is, that he keeps his promises. That's the purpose of persistent prayer. But the power behind persistent prayer is faith. That in the midst of when I look out on the world and say, boy, this just doesn't look like it's working out. Why are bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people? Why does the system seem so corrupt and unjust? Where's God? Well, he's, he's not unaware, believe me. And what we need in the meantime is to, to work for justice. But before we work for justice, we better pray for justice. And we need to f- trust him in what we don't see. That's what faith is, remember? Faith is the assurance of things unseen. That's what will change our world. May not be immediate, may not be evident to us, right? But that's what he's saying. Pray and never give up. Pray and never give up. Now, sometimes we get it right. The date was October 4th. 1997. Again, many of us, yeah, so. But on May 4th, or October 4th of 1997, somewhere between 400,000 and 800,000 Christian men, mostly, were again marching on the Capitol Mall. It was put on by a group called the Promise Keepers. Not the Oath Keepers and not the Proud Boys, believe me. The Promise Keepers. It was a group started by Bill McCartney, the coach at University of Colorado years before. And the gathering was called a Sacred Assembly of Prayer. It was called Stand in the Gap. And it was calling men in the church to understand where we had failed, where we had let down our churches and our wives and our family. The crowd stretched from the Capitol steps to the Washington Monument. There were 18 large video screens so that people way in the back, a mile away, could see what was going on on the stage. If you haven't, Google it. Watch it on YouTube. There's all kinds of stuff on it. It's amazing. Half a million men gathered. And what were they gathered there? They were gathered to worship, to confess their sins to one another, to acknowledge that there needed to be racial justice, that there needed to be racial reconciliation, that there needed to be a personal repentance on on our part. Randy Phillips was the president of Promise Keepers at the time and his opening remarks, because there was criticism that it was just for men. And this is what he said. He said, we have not come to impose our religious beliefs on others. We celebrate a land of religious freedom for all. We gather not to denigrate other faiths, but to affirm our belief in the message that salvation comes through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. 
Dale Schlafer was the director of that event, said, we gather not to point fingers at society. We're not here to say that the government has failed us. We're here to say that the problem is with us. With the men in the church in this particular gathering. We are here to come confessing our sins and to pray for unity and reconciliation and justice. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that begins in me. That begins in me. That these men sank to their knees and they prayed that God would come and bring justice in our midst. This is where it gets dicey, folks. Can you imagine for me today how we would look back on another date, January 6th, 2021, when you had a crowd of people who gathered because many believed injustice had been done. Whether it was or not is not the point. But imagine what we, how we would look back on that day, today, had that group marched down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol, come right up to the barriers where the Capitol Police were, and they had fallen on their knees and said, God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for the people that, that, that you would bring about unity. We pray that, that, that we know we have failed in our being the people we're supposed to be. Because on that day, there were not only political banners, there were Jesus banners everywhere. Now, some of you are saying, come on, Mark. That's naive. Are you really that naive? That's not how the world works. To which I say, precisely. That's not how the world works. But that is how the kingdom of God works. When God's people pray and never give up. May we be those kingdom people. May we be those kingdom people in our world, in our environment, with the people in our lives today. And I guarantee you, you won't regret it.